Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. You know, kids revere their dads. Uh, One writer said this, There was no action that my father committed that I did not study as a work of wonder. Not one thing he did that I did not look upon with a sense of wonder and awe. You know, every little kid thinks their dad is like the strongest man on earth. Every kid thinks their dad is a superhero. No, really, some of them actually believe that their dads are superheroes. I came upon a really interesting survey that was conducted in the United Kingdom of 1,000 children from 6 to 8 years old, and it revealed that 55% of those kids believe their dad could actually be a superhero in disguise. More than half believe that. More than a third of them suspect that their dad has a secret hidden lair where he keeps his crime-fighting gear. And almost 60% say that the superpower their dad is most likely to have is super strength, which they believe is most handy when it's time to carry in those extra heavy shopping bags. Now, by the way, the superpower that they believe their mom is most likely to possess is telepathy uh, or mind reading. And uh, that's actually verifiably true. Moms actually do know how to read our minds. Kids want to brag on their dads. They love to boast about their fathers. There were three little boys on the playground one day. They were bragging about their dads. And one of them threw down the gauntlet with this statement. He said, my dad will scribble a few words on a piece of paper. He'll call it a poem. And he gets, one, he gets hundreds of dollars for it. Well, the next kid wasn't going to be outdone. He wanted to you know, face this challenge. And, and so he said, I can do you one better than that. My dad will jot a few words down on a sheet of paper. He'll call it a song, and he gets thousands of dollars for it. Well, the last little kid, he knew he had them both beat, so he put his hands on his hips, and he said this, that's nothing. My dad will write a few words down on a sheet of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes eight grown men to collect all the money that he gets for it. Kids love to brag on their dads. And you know, the Bible echoes this truth too. Our text this morning is just one half of one proverb. Isaac read it for us earlier. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. That is another sermon for another time. Our sermon is about the second part. The glory of children is their fathers. In other words... Dads are the pride of their children. Children take pride in their dads. They love to brag about their fathers. Unless, of course, they don't have anything to brag about. Because you know as well as I that some kids grow up with dads who just aren't the best. Some kids, and we have some people in this room for for whom this description will ring true. Some kids grow up with dads who are cold, uh, who do not express love and affection, who never seem to be warm and kind and caring with their children. Some kids grow up with dads who are distant, who are always out doing something different, who never pay attention to the kids. 
Some kids grow up with dads who are just outright neglectful, who are away for long periods of time. Some kids grow up with dads who are angry, and the whispers echo throughout the house when dad gets home. Let's leave dad alone today. He's in one of his moods. Steer clear of dad, okay? Some kids grow up with dads who are outright abusive. Verbally. Physically. And yet, in my experience, even kids with dads like that, they still want to brag on their dad. They still look for something about which they can be proud of when it comes to their dad. And you know, some kids in this day and age, grow up without a dad altogether. Fatherlessness has become an epidemic in this country. According to some studies, 24.7 million kids in the United States don't live with a biological father. 24.7 million. And according to the United States Department of Education, 39% of our students in this country from 1st through 12th grade are fatherless. And don't think for a minute this is, this is without consequences. Oh no, fatherlessness is having a huge impact on our kids. It's up across the board. It's growing. There's a 20% rate among white fathers who are absent in their children's lives. 31% for Hispanics. 57% for African Americans. Children are four times more likely to be poor if the father is not around in any capacity. Fatherless kids are twice as likely to drop out of school. One study found that 7 out of 10 high school dropouts are fatherless. Girls who are fatherless are four times more likely to get pregnant as unwed teenagers. Children who grow up without a father are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. So fatherlessness in our culture is having a huge impact. We face some serious daddy issues in our country, in our world, and this is about the time when most of us just want to throw our hands up and say, how do we even begin to address a a problem that is this big, this huge? And we say, there's just nothing we can do as Christians. There's just nothing the church can do. Let's just bury our heads in the sand and forget that this is a problem. Well, it's true. We as Christians, we as the church, we cannot fix every broken home in our country. But make no mistake, there are some things that we can do. There are some things that we should do. And just like that tiny mustard seed in the parable of Jesus grows into the largest plant in a garden, so will God take our tiny, our small acts of faith and obedience and produce big results from those. And so I've got two action steps for us today as we think about the epidemic of fatherlessness, as we think about all the kids in our churches and beyond who do not have good earthly fathers. There are two things that we need to be doing as Christians, as God's people. And here's the first. The church, we, the people of God, must point to our Father in heaven. We've got some good news that we need to be proclaiming to the world around us, and that we need to be reminding each other of. And it's this, even if you've got a deadbeat dad, you have a good, good father in heaven always worth bragging on. 
And in the end, it is that Father in heaven who will satisfy all of the relational longings that exist for a good dad. And it may not seem like it in the present time. This may seem like not a good solution, like just a little bit of salve on a really deep wound for a lot of people who have struggled with their earthly dad. But this is something we need to keep reminding people of, that even if you, you, didn't, you weren't blessed with a good dad in, in this life, you have a good, good father in heaven. And, you know, even that image of God as father, people struggle with that. People who have had problems with their earthly dad. One writer says this, My father left home when I was young. So when I was introduced to the concept of God as Father, I imagined him as a stiff, oily man who wanted to move into our house and mistreat my mother and our family. Listen to what he says. I can only remember this as a frightful and threatening idea. The idea of God as Father, which comes so naturally to to those of us who are blessed with good dads, is a frightful and threatening idea to those who didn't grow up with good dads. That can be a hard image for him. That image has been sullied by bad earthly dads, but we must show them the way. We must continue to hold forth this good news. You've got a good, good father in heaven. First of all, he allows us to call him father. We often forget what a blessing that is because we so often refer to him in this way, but it is a profound blessing. One that God's people in the Old Testament, the Jews, could barely imagine. They would never dream of calling God Father. It was a much too intimate word, but now through Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, we can refer to Him as Abba, Father. We are His children. We are heirs according to His promise. So we're blessed to call the God of the universe, the one who created all things, our Father. And what's more, he loves us unconditionally, our Father in heaven. A lot of people look at the Old Testament and they think it's just a story about the anger and the wrath and the judgment of God. But I look at the Old Testament and I see a story of the patience and the long-suffering and the love of God. Because it seems to me as I look at the Old Testament and into the New No matter how many times his precious human creation rebelled against him, he is in hot pursuit. He wants to reestablish a relationship with them once again. There are countless times in the scriptures when God should have left us for dead. And yet there's something special about us. And God keeps coming back to us and he keeps wanting to reestablish communion with us. No matter how hard we try to run away from him. We have a father who loves us unconditionally. His love never seems to give out on us. That's the story of the scriptures. And we have a God who gives us good gifts. The gift of his son. The gift of his spirit. The gift of forgiveness of sins. Salvation. But then... The smaller gifts that we experience, the gift of a loving and encouraging church family, the gift of living in a peaceful and free land, the gift of employment of our jobs that allows us to support our families, the gift of good families of mothers and fathers and siblings and children, the gift of friendship, the gift of good health. I mean, we ought to be 
regularly recounting the great gifts that come from the hand of our Father. We ought to be counting our blessings. Maybe if we did, we would be a little less frustrated, a little less discontent, a little more content, a little more thankful. Just think about all of the wonderful gifts, both big and small, that we receive from our loving Father in heaven. And you know what else? He graciously provides discipline to train us. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now, and I don't want to, I don't want to act like that's not significant. You know, I don't want to minimize that in any way. But have you considered that God may be allowing you to face this trial or temptation in order to build your faith? In order to make you more dependent upon Him? In order, in order to teach you how to lean on Him a little better? Maybe God is allowing you to go through whatever you're going through in order to shape your faith, in order to build up your character. God graciously allows us to face trials and and temptations so that we can be put through the fire and come out on the other side purified and better than we were before. God's grace is at work through difficulty. God, our loving Heavenly Father, allows us to face challenges so that we can be shaped into the people He wants us to be. We have a good, good Father in heaven. We need to be reminding ourselves of that. We need to be reminding others of that. In fact, I'm wondering, when's the last time you bragged on your heavenly father? He is always worth bragging on, even if your earthly dad is not. When's the last time you bragged on somebody, uh, bragged to somebody about your God? I mean, that's basically evangelism in a nutshell, isn't it? Bragging on God. Talking about what a great father he is and all the wonderful things. That he's done for us. We must never stop reminding one another and proclaiming the message that we have a good, good Father in heaven. But there's more to this picture. We can't stop there. There's something else we can do as the church. There's something else we must do. And and mainly the second point, I want to talk to the men, the Christian men that are in the house today that are part of this congregation. The second thing that we must do is We must provide godly fathers for the next generation. So yes, we must point to our loving Heavenly Father, but God wants to use us, men, to be in a father-like role for the young ones among us for the next generation. And this begins with our biological children. I think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Fathers... Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when I read that, I'm reminded of a couple things. First of all, I'm reminded that it is my responsibility to bring up my children. That's on me. The buck stops with me. It is not a teacher's responsibility. It is not a preacher's responsibility. It is not a coach's responsibility. It's not a youth minister's responsibility. It's not some other expert in whatever field your kid is involved in. Dads, fathers, it is your responsibility to bring up your children. That burden is on your shoulders. And what's more, it is your responsibility, it's my responsibility to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we will teach our kids a lot of things that will be meaningful and helpful to them as they live their lives. We'll teach them how to play 
a, a sport. We'll, we'll teach them how to do projects around the house. We'll teach them about how to handle their money in an effective way. But if we teach them all that, and we neglect to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, if we neglect to show them a God who loves them more than we ever can, then we will have failed. I will not have done my job if I teach my girls all the ways that they can live an effective, successful life in this world, but neglect to teach them what can bring life in the life to come, eternal life through Jesus Christ, I've wasted my time. I've missed the boat. I have failed as a dad. That's my job. That's your job. If you're a father, if you have kids, to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, we should want to be the pride of our children. We should want to make them proud by the way that we have raised them in a way that points them to God above. You know, every kid thinks that their dad hung the moon. But it's our job, dads, to point them to the one who actually did. Their father in heaven. But this responsibility extends beyond biological children. It extends beyond blood kin. I've got a picture up on the screen. It's of an extraordinary event that happened last year at Dade Middle School in Dallas. The school has a student population of about 900, about 90% from low-income families. The school planned to host its first breakfast with dads. There were about 150 male students, uh, ages 11 to 13, who signed up, but event organizers and some school officials were concerned that some of these boys would come without a male figure at their side. So they put out a call for volunteers who could come and stand in for dads, who could serve as mentors. One local minister said, when a young person sees someone other than their teacher take interest in them, it inspires them. That's what we want to see happen. So a call for volunteers was published on social media about 10 days before the event. The school hoped that 50 men would come. That's, that was their goal. We hope we can get 50 volunteers, mentors, coaches, teachers, leaders in the community to show up for our boys. You know how many showed up that day? 600 men answered the call to be mentors to these young boys. One local reporter said this, I will never forget witnessing the young students surrounded by supportive community members. There were so many volunteers that at times I saw young men huddled in the center of four to five mentors. The look of awe, even disbelief in students' eyes as they made their way through the crowd of dads was astonishing. One volunteer named Jamil, his nickname is the Tie Man. Jamil the Tie Man Tucker, here he is. He led the auditorium in a hands-on icebreaker activity. He spoke of learning how to tie a tie as a rite of passage that some young men will never experience. So mentors handed out ties to the eager students and helped them perfect their half-Windsor knot. This reporter says, The sight of a necktie may forever bring a tear to my eye. Folks, this is the church's calling. This is the kind of thing we must be doing. Older, faithful men must show the way for younger believers, not from a distance, but in a hands-on fashion. 
This is what we are to be about. We need more Pauls in our midst. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. There's no indication that the Apostle Paul, the great figure of the New Testament, the the writer of many of the letters, the, the preacher, the missionary, there's no indication he was ever married or had any children. And yet there was one who became, according to the New Testament, became like a son to him. His name was Timothy. A young preacher. Paul became his mentor. They grew so close to one another that Paul, on many occasions in the New Testament, referred to him as a son, as my child. 1 Corinthians 4.17, he talks about Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And to Timothy, Paul was like a dad, a father. These are the kind of relationships that we ought to be nurturing in our church family. And not just with older men and younger men, but with older women and younger women. The the older generation, the faithful, trusted believers are to instruct the younger generation about how they ought to live. This is what it's all about. If we're a church family, this is the kind of thing that ought to be going on. We need more Pauls. People who are able to say, that young man, he is a son to me. I love him as a son. And I care about his future. And I want to do everything I can to instruct him in the ways of the Lord. I think about the the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel who declared to the people of Israel their sin, who called them to repent. Israel and the city of Jerusalem during his era They were in dire straits. There was so much rampant disobedience and immorality. And it was from the top down. The priests and the prophets, the kings, everybody was corrupt. Nobody loved God. Nobody had good intentions. And so Ezekiel wonders in chapter 22, verse 31. Chapter 22, verse 30, rather. He says, I sought for a man among the people who should build up the wall, and he's not talking about the physical wall that was later rebuilt, thanks to Nehemiah, around the city. He's talking about the wall of faith, the wall of obedience. He says it's broken down, and I'm looking for somebody who can stand in the gap, who can stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy. This is God speaking through Ezekiel, by the way. I have found none. I'm looking for somebody who can rise up and be a good example for the next generation and influence them, and I can't find anybody. Who's going to stand in the gap? And that's the question for us as we face a culture full of daddy issues and the epidemic of fatherlessness, countless kids in our culture who need a father figure. Who will stand in the gap? Who will heed the call? Who will rise to the occasion? The world needs us, dads. And the next generation in the church needs us, men, to show them the way. Will we heed the call? Will we be the one whom God could not find in Ezekiel's day to stand in the gap, to stand in the breach? On this Father's Day, We must embrace the role of father, men. And we must be thankful for our good, good father in heaven. 
who we have been called to emulate. Today is June the 17th, 2018. It's Father's Day. And this can be a special day for you. This can be a day that you'll never forget. A date that you will forever remember. This can be a day about which you brag on your father until the end of your days. On June the 17th, 2018, you can say in years to come, it was that day when I received the salvation that is so freely offered from my Father in heaven. You can make that happen, you know. If you're not a baptized believer, if you haven't confessed faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't repented from your sins, you can come and take that most important step Making this a day that is more important than the day when you got married or when you will get married. More important than the day when you had your children or when you will have your children. More important than the day when you graduated from high school or when you'll graduate from high school or college or graduate school. More important than any other day in your whole life. This can be the day when you received salvation. From your heavenly father who loves you so much and and so desires for you to be a part of his family forevermore. Is it your day? Is it time for you to take that first step down the aisle so that you can have your sins washed away? So that you can receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of God's spirit? Or maybe today you need to come and make some things right in your life. You need to confess sin or you're struggling with something. You need the prayers of this body of believers. That would be just the wind in your sails to get you through the next week or month. Face whatever you're facing. That's the time for you to come as well. If there are any spiritual needs in the house today, why don't you come and make them known right now as we stand and sing?